Welcome to Car Wash, the podcast, your source for real stories and real business insights from the experts, both in and out of the car wash industry. So put it in neutral, feed off the brakes, and take your hands off the steering wheel, because here we go. Here is your guide on this journey, David Begin of Begin Insights. Hello, Car Wash Nation. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Car Wash the Podcast, the podcast that makes you a great car washer and a slightly better human being. With me today is my good friend, Mike Finger, who's the principal of Exis Oasis. Exis Oasis focuses on helping small businesses figure out how to make their businesses sellable and then kind of guides them through that process of how to pick brokers and how to select buyers and just basically ask as a consultant. Mike, thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. David, my pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's always good to talk to you. I've really enjoyed your newsletters over the years, especially when I was contemplating my sale of the car washes and kind of helped me get through that process, not only from a mechanical standpoint, but also the bigger part of that is the emotional side of selling your business. I think that's something that's dramatically under estimated by people who sell their business. Mike was a car washer as well. You had car washes and sold your businesses. That's correct. I owned two separate locations for a couple of years, actually purchased them primarily as turnaround opportunities. Got to experience, I think, the life, the 2 a.m. temperature alarm from the you know on-site monitor and driving up. And my favorite is the use of the hairdryer to thaw a bill except on the pay station. That is something I never thought I'd do. Yeah. You live way up north where it's super cold and you've got those issues of things really freezing up your way, but that's good. And then you got into understanding small businesses and realizing there was a big vacuum in terms of people's expectations when it came to selling their business. And we're in the middle of that in the car wash industry. It's such a unique time. If you've got a car wash, you probably have received 20 or 30 calls for people that are interested in buying car washes. There is the car wash industry. We're going to talk about that a little bit, but we're also going to talk about generally selling small businesses because I think they're very, very different right now. You and I were blessed to be in the car wash industry, and I was blessed to be in an industry where there was a lot of money pouring into it that allowed us to sell our car washes, but that's not the case with most small businesses. It is not. It's still a struggle for owners to successfully exit their business. It's a really squishy number to try to tie down, but best numbers available is that only 20% of owners will ever successfully exit their business. Yeah. What are some of those mega trends that you're seeing? And I think the last time we talked is there was a lot of people looking to retire in the next five to 10 years. So the thought was there going to be more supply than demand. What are some of the other mega trends. And we've seen this institutional investing, especially in the car wash industry, but in other industries as well, where if the institutional investors are looking for places to park money, the car wash industry was a fragmented industry, is very much a mom and pop industry. And back when I started 10 years ago, if you owned two or three car washes, you were a big player. But now you need to have at least 10 of them in order to make it on anybody's radar when it comes to numbers of washes. What are some of those trends that you're seeing? It's a great question, David. My answer is probably not going to go the direction that you think. I'm a skeptic when it comes to the macro. 
in this space. I mean, if we talk about institutional investors, if we talk about private equity, it's something that's fairly exciting and interesting to get into. And especially when you hear real stories of people who sold that way, and then you take a step back and you look at the numbers and you see that last I looked, private equity did about 4,500 deals last year, about 4,500 deals in the entire country. Most of those with companies over $100 million in revenue. So the number of small businesses that are actually impacted by a jump in private equity investment for every macro influence, I mean, we've been hearing about this silver tsunami that's going to come of aging business owners. I can find material from 15, 20 years ago that was talking about how you had five years to get out before you got overwhelmed by the rush. All of those things are real and all of those things influence the ability to sell your business. But I believe they get crushed when it comes down to a single buyer evaluating a single business for purchase. That's always where I defer when I'm talking to small business owners is, what does your business look like? How will it look to a potential buyer? At the end of the day, that's why a business gets sold. Yeah. And most people don't go into small business thinking about that. They think about all the advantages of being a business owner, the freedom of being a business owner, the flexibility. But most people don't go into it thinking about how do I exit this business, which you say a lot is very unfortunate. It is. I mean, I've always been a huge fan of how Michael Gerber captured that startup moment in the e-myth. And that was, of course, the entrepreneurial seizure. It's something that happens quite by accident for most of us. We suddenly find ourselves owners. And to be fair, there's some out there that beat the drum of, you know, start with the end in mind. And there's obviously wisdom in that. I've never really been able to do that with the businesses I've started because my startups have always been acts of exorcism, right? I have this idea. I think it can work. Eventually, I got to get the thing out of my head. The other thing is that spending a lot of time thinking about your exit until you've created sustainability in your business probably isn't a good use of time. But once you find yourself at a place that you're in a business that's going to be here tomorrow and the next day and the next day, you had better start thinking about your exit. The simple reality about this is if you want to characterize how most business owners deal with this, four words, you wait you fail. That's what we do. That's what we do as owners. We don't engage this topic until we're ready to sell. And then we figure out it's too late. Yeah. It's safe to say, Mike, I was a unicorn getting to sell my business to institutional investors. When you sold your car washes, you sold them to another individual. So you went through probably what I would consider to be the traditional small business sales route, but I took a completely different route. I don't know if it was a longer sales cycle, but it was a long sales cycle. And, you know, after a while, I got tired of them asking for additional information. And there was two or three sets of attorneys that were involved from the buyer side. I had my set of attorneys and it was a interesting process, but I can deem myself lucky to be able to do that. I think that's true, David. And lucky in many ways, right? I mean, there's some real benefits to selling to that kind of buyer. I just always like to help owners understand that that sale 
is extremely unlikely. And all of the things that come with it, right? We know private equity pays a higher multiple. Well, guess what? If you're reading articles about private equity multiples and you're a single unit car wash owner, you've got wrong information. You've got bad information in terms of what your expectations should be. We're seeing that more and more, especially people are hearing of these crazy deals that have been done. There was just a recent deal that was done for a large change of about 40 car washes, and they had about another 30 in development, and it was close to a nine-figure deal, which was totally unheard of. But, you know, they hear of that and they think, well, my car wash must be worth somewhere near that. And the expectations of sellers right now seem like they're way, way out of line with what's rational and what's reasonable. Yeah, I think that's true. The visual that comes to mind for me is the 53-year-old overweight guy watching NBA on TV and then heading out to the gym to play basketball, right? What you see is not what's going to happen when you hit the court. Yeah. There's also, we've talked about this before, Mike, the emotional component of selling a business and how that gets played in there. What are some of the pitfalls that people have when it comes to selling a business from an emotional standpoint? It's a fascinating subject. It's so interesting how we can take a very simple example. It's going to be sad for me to let that business go, right? That makes perfect sense. But when you dig deeper and you look at the impact of some of those emotional elements, for example, there's a scientific principle called the endowment effect, which says that I have a tendency to value something that I own that contributes to my sense of self-worth greater than something that someone else owns. And uh, when I look at that from a small business perspective, I can't think of anything, anything that we own that defines us like a small business does. So there's an emotional reality for me. And what does it do? It makes me think that my business is worth twice as much as it really is. I don't just think that, but I feel it deeply. And I feel deeply insulted if you offer me a different number. The stuff is so intertwined and so mixed together. Again, part of that prep process is thinking about what life looks like after you sell, right? Because all of these elements that come to play during a sale or before a sale that can kill your deal are also elements that put you in a weird place after you sell. I mean, I was euphoric when I sold my first business. Just the physical change that I experienced the next morning, I described like an 80-pound bag of potatoes that had been lifted off my shoulders. But along with that comes that moment of, what in the world do I do now? I mean, David, did you experience that when you sold? Man, I Mike, I totally underestimated what it was like not being a car wash owner. I knew it was going to be a transition, but I didn't realize how difficult it was going to be because I had developed a lot of my identity as a business owner around the car washes and being known in the community as a business owner and a successful business owner. And being in the industry, I was involved with the ICA and, and being on their board and being their board president in 2017. And I go from being board president of ICA to not owning a car wash in 2019 it was a massive adjustment. And I think people underestimate anytime you make a transition from a career to like, I'm going to end my career and now I'm going to do something else 
or I'm going to sell my business and do something else. It was a gross underestimation of the emotional impact. And I think that's what keeps people a lot of times from selling their business. And I've heard it. I can't tell you how many times talking to clients who say, well, what am I going to do if I sell my business? Absolutely. I've been lucky enough to exit four times. I have come to be remarkably jealous and somewhat addicted to that space that comes after an exit. The liquidity, the opportunity, the exploration that you get to do, but it was absolutely something I grew into. I can't say, I mean, like I said, I was euphoric after the first sale, but then it got bumpy. Learning from that first experience and transitioning to a place where I understood that that was part of the process And again, you know, for most people who sell a business, they're going to do it once. That's okay. I mean, that is the common experience of business sale. I'm more inclined towards supporting someone up to that sale, because if you have a successful sale and you've got some bumps to deal with on the other side, that's okay. The ones that are really troubling for me, it's the 4 a.m. phone call that I get from a client who's on the day of close. I don't know if I can go through with this. All right. Well, we talked about this. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that occurs and it kills deals. And then the regret that hits 24 hours after you killed the deal, when all of the things that contributed to you deciding to sell in the first place come back into your office screaming at you, it's a journey. Yeah. I was actually on the phone with a friend of mine yesterday having that discussion of should I sell or should I not sell? kind of give them the pros and cons of both of them. You know, just like you talked about, I've been approached by institutional investors to say, could we use you as a consultant to come alongside the seller to kind of help them through the sales process, be on the buyer side and help them like you do, Mike, help them kind of with the emotional part of it, how you doing so that they can get deals done. So there's not that 4 a.m. call like you're describing. That's so interesting. Have you had a chance to do that? I have not had a chance to do that yet. So I'm really interested in helping someone who's selling because I could have used that help and there was nobody I could really go to. I had my mechanical advisors, which were the accountants and the attorneys, but I didn't have somebody saying, how are you doing through this? What are you feeling? Do you still feel good about it? Yeah, I'm fascinated by that. I'm working with a buyer right now who is looking to expand his current business through acquisition. And one of the things that we're talking through is the struggle he is having as he attempts to educate, and I think probably rightly, I don't think he's blowing smoke, the seller's willingness to listen to a buyer educating them about that transition process, whether it be tangibles on the the value of the business or the like, or the emotional side of it, the listener, the source of the information I've seen strike the seller as screwy. Now, as you're alluding to there, a situation where there's actually an outside support structure there. I think that's really wise. Whether they'll listen, that's the key. Yeah, I thought that was great. I've heard of so many examples of people reluctant to sell their business. You know, as I was saying, we've got a self-serve frozen yogurt business on the south end of town. Well, on the north end of town, there's an ice cream store I like to go to. It's in a fun little town. It's a small town. She's kind of like the main place for people to come and hang out and people bring their kids. And 
I was sitting down talking to her about my business and talking about her business, her reluctant to sell. She said, I, you know, people come up to all the time. Would you be interested in selling your business? She's like, oh, they're not going to run it the way I need it to run. So there's no way I'm going to sell this business. <laughs> and it's that, you know, I really kind of understand that emotional attachment that people have into their business where, you know, at the end of the day, I'm thinking, well, who cares the way they run it once you sell it? I mean, it's their business at that point. Just that emotional attachment that people have for various reasons. I mean, my emotional attachment, I love the cash flow. I love the cash flow of the business. And I knew when I sold the business, I was going to get a big pile of money, but I wasn't going to have that cash flow anymore. And that's the biggest thing I struggle with. Sure. It's a transition. It is one that I think hits sellers in different ways. And to the example of that woman you just referenced, they won't run it the way I want them to. I have the luxury in work that I do. I don't get paid based on a deal getting done. If I work with an owner, they change their business to be more sellable and they suddenly recognize that there's no business better to own than one you can sell and they decide to keep it for the next 40 years, I'm fabulous with that. For me, it's about informed consent. As long as she knows that the more personalized her business is and the more dependent on her it is, the less likely she is to sell it, then great, right? If she wants to run it her way until it closes in 10 years, where I get troubled is by people who think that they do that and then wake up one day and say, I'm tired of doing this and that they're suddenly going to sell their business because it doesn't happen. Yeah. So that's the saddest thing of all is when people, when they're ready to sell, they're not ready to sell. That's right. Your business has to be ready to sell before you're ready for sale. Yeah. I've got a client that's trying to transition between a corporate role and wanting to be a business owner, an entrepreneur. And we were talking this morning about how many businesses, you say a lot of businesses are unsellable. And most people, when they go into business, they basically have created a job for themselves. They haven't really created a business, but they created a job. And I would call those the solopreneurs or individual operators or whatever. So they could be somebody in a trade, like an electrician or a plumber, or they've got a specific skill to fix computers, but they're really not building a business. So out of all the small businesses, what percentage do you think are those types of businesses? I'm going to get this number slightly wrong, but it'll be pretty close. I read that 95% of small businesses in the U.S. meet one of these two criteria. They either have less than a half million dollars in revenue, or they have one or fewer employees. So it's the vast majority that fall into that category that you're talking about. It's the incorporation, it's the partnership, it's the, hey, we should do this on the side, the one-man show. It's a large percentage. Now, again, that gets really interesting these days as things have changed over the last few years because we now live in a world where I might have a one-person for sale on Amazon store that does over a million dollars in revenue, right? I mean, it's an interesting dynamic, but for me... It comes down to three basic questions. If you want to know if you're going to be able to sell your business, it's three basic questions. The first is, are my results desirable? And no fancy code there. Do you generate results with your business that someone else is going to look at and go, I want to get some of that? 
Are my results desirable? Can a buyer duplicate my results? That gets to the question of, do I have team? Do I have systems? If it's all about you, you're not going to be able to sell your business. So can a buyer duplicate my results? And then the last one is, can I document my results? If you can answer yes to those three questions, your odds of selling your business have just gone up exponentially. A no in any one of those, and you better not be planning on the sale for your retirement. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Each one of those components, can they duplicate my business? What are some components of that that you look for? Let's take them in order. When we talk about are my results desirable, there's two things. There's the seller's discretionary earnings, and that's a fancy way of saying what is the cash flow that the business generates for you as the owner? Regardless of how you put that money to work, if you use it to buy packer tickets, if you use it to pay the lease on your car, there's a number of addbacks, things that contribute to your benefit of ownership. But fundamentally, the question is, what is your seller's discretionary earnings? The other part of desirability has to do with what your job looks like. If your job sucks, nobody's going to pay you for the opportunity to do it right? The 18-hour days, dealing with miserable people, doing lousy work, that's not something someone's going to buy. We forget that a buyer is not just buying a business, but in most cases, they're buying their lifestyle, right? And if you're sitting there going, I got to sell this place because I never get to see my kids. I'm here 18 hours a day. I make lousy wages. I can't tell you how many times I talk to owners who say those things as they're telling me they want to sell their business. If it's not desirable, if those two elements aren't there, it doesn't work. On the question of can a buyer duplicate, again, that's where we're talking about do you have a team and do you have systems? A team is self-explanatory. Are there other people involved in the business, whether they be employees or contractors or vendors, others that can keep that business running when you're not there? I think that's one area where the car wash industry offers opportunities that others don't, right? I mean, there's a lot of service providers out there that can keep that place running outside of an owner being there 24 hours a day. And then the last, the documents, you got to keep clean records. You got to be able to prove to me that it happened. Again, in the car wash industry where there's cash involved, the wink, wink, nudge, nudge, it doesn't work. I'm not going to pay you for your dishonesty. You tell me you've lied to the IRS. What's going to keep you from lying to me? You got to keep clean records. Yeah, that's the biggest one that blows me away is I've heard of people trying to sell their car washes. And these are big car washes. And they're trying to tell you that what the tax returns are are not what the real revenue is. And they do it like nothing's nothing's wrong. It's like you just committed a felony and you're admitting that to me. And you expect me to pay something different. I mean, I just, it just blows me away when I hear those stories. I sat across the table from an owner who told me, I just told you I'm a liar. That's why you should trust me. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing people don't factor in is, and you've done a lot of articles on this, is if your business is worth five times earnings and you spend $10 on a hamburger, you just cost yourself $50 somewhere down the line. Absolutely. I wrote an article talking about the $30 pancakes I used to have. Yeah. So just thinking about those type of things. And again, that's short-term thinking versus long-term thinking when it comes to selling your business. 
Have you heard of any industries right now with our COVID pandemic that's still raging on? Any industries besides hospitality, food service, any of them that are struggling right now? Struggling, obviously, once you tagged the food service and even those that feel like they've gotten through. I mean, it was such a unique journey in 2020. Every one of my clients, 201, wide range of industries represented, we spent 60, 90 days talking purely about survival. Are we going to make it? How's this going to shake out? What do I do? Who do I lay off? I mean, it was across the board. Now I've got, you know, some of those same clients, some are way up and some continue to struggle depending on the industry. In terms of broad strokes, anything that's online, right, they won. Instead of going down the street to buy something, I went online to buy it. And I think that benefited small operations in addition to the giants. But those retail locations, and you know, you and I talked a little bit about this beforehand, what happened to car washes during the, the industry? It, I got to be a hands-on there for it. I got to drive out the door. And that, that took a toll. Hi, this is David Began. We're going to end this episode with Mike Finger. And we're going to continue this particular conversation on another podcast next time on a part two. So we appreciate you listening to this episode of Car Wash the Podcast. We'd like to get this episode in the hands of more people in our car wash industry. So if you will, please tell your friends and associates about this podcast. You can get Car Wash the Podcast on any platform you get podcast, or you can simply go to our website at carwashthepodcast.com. And for Matt DeWolf and myself, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time and keep washing those cars. Car Wash the Podcast is your source for real stories and real business insights from the experts, both in and out of the car wash industry. Our show helps investors, owners, operators, and managers think about ways to enhance their business. Our podcast is a free, on-demand audio program that provides information on the latest trends impacting the industry, tips from successful industry leaders, and inspiration for our listeners.